Oh, man, what a day, what a day. Good morning. Hope everybody is doing well. I don't know about this shirt. I don't know. I don't know about this shirt. I don't know whether or not this just makes me like a big blue angel that I am, but welcome. And um, by the way, thank you for supporting our show. You guys have supported it in record numbers. And we'll continue to do what we do, which is be fearless and tell the truth. A lot of heat coming on Double D. Yesterday's heat was uh, some kid two and a half years later said that I called him a meth head. Never happened. Nope, never happened. According to my friend Nigel of Hammer and Nigel. But first, last night, ladies and gentlemen, Double Dizzle. Double Dizzle digs the long ball. Double Dizzle digs. I like it long. I like it deep. I like it gone. And man, oh man, let's do some math here. 457 yards. Now, I could read the article, but I want to act like I'm doing math here. 457 yards for Stanton. 425 yards uh, for Baxson, Buxton. I can't write Byron Buxton. Two, eight, now I got, I got 882 feet of home run last night. Back-to-back jacks, three to two, the American League uh, rolled. Uh, Tony Gonzalez was the uh, loser in this, but damn, uh, there were great plays. We had behind-the-back double plays. We had guys playing with smiles on their face. See, you got to understand something. I'm in two baseball Hall of Fames. Is it two? I think it's two. Um, one of the legendary baseball players in my own mind. That's right, legendary in my own mind. And I got to tell you, I love baseball, and I want baseball to come back. And two bombs last night. Now, three to two, not great. And I was telling my producer, Jimmy Cook, on our afternoon show, I go, you know, I got to take the under in this game. Because you're going to bring all these arms throwing 98, and everybody's going to be amped up, right? And sure enough, I think the over-under I saw was like eight and a half, five runs, easy. Easy. No runs, I don't think, since the fourth inning. Went back. It's on my TV right now. Boom! Longest home run of the entire first half of the season in Dodger Stadium. He hit it. I don't know the geography of Dodger Stadium, but the dude hit it way the out. And I ain't mad about it. No, I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about nothing. It's been a good week. It's been a really good week. Uh, For those of you that are wondering how I'm doing, and I thank you, look, we don't answer to TV. We don't answer to media. I ain't answering no media. Well, how about you stop? No, we'll get into that as we move along. In fact, we'll probably stop. This is interesting because this, ladies and gentlemen, is where things go off the rail or went off the rail in our media. Here locally in Indianapolis, if you did not get vaccinated and you were on the Colts, the local paper would drive you out of town. They want you gone. You got to get. You're awful. You're the worst. You're a bad teammate. Horrible people. I mean, literally, bad teammate, bad people, all this kind of stuff was said about you. Big articles, uh, like the one that was, you know, with me. But anyway, Carson Wentz, 
Bad human being. I don't know, man. I saw Carson Wentz speak at Traders Point Christian Church. We need more Carson Wentz. So this, be- and it wasn't just Indianapolis. Let's be honest. It was everywhere. I mean, it was across the country. The liberal media told you, you must get, you must get vaccinated or you are a bad person. You must live a perfect life. And we are dictating what the perfect life is. And that is to get vaccinated. Now, of course, Dr. Fauci has come out and said what I've said, uh, what I had doctors tell me, which was simply this. Uh, Vaccines, not enough information. Not enough information to know. But Andrew Wiggins, now you got to understand this too. Basketball, football, guys that get to a certain level, they know what they're putting in their bodies. They are very meticulous because there are rules that could cost them millions of dollars. Andrew Wiggins, we all know Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is from the Golden State Warriors. One of the great stories in basketball, right? I mean, he comes, he's a first pick in the draft. My God, he, he plays well with Minnesota, but all of a sudden, guess what? Andrew Wiggins gets to go to where? Golden State. And you know what happens? At Golden State, he becomes a champion. You know what else happens? At Golden State, you could have, you could have made the argument that Andrew Wiggins was going to be the finals MVP. Andrew Wiggins said this. I still wish I didn't get vaccinated, to be honest with you. At the start of the season, Wiggins was torn. Should I get vaccinated? Should I not? He saw what happened with Kyrie Irving. I got to tell you, I got vaccinated, and I wish I had. I'm sorry. I had to because of my job, but now I'm nervous. I've seen a lot of death over the last year and a half. A lot. A lot. And in every case, and I'm not saying this, you should subscribe to this. I'm giving you my personal feelings. Call me an idiot. Do all the things that you want. And I'm not anti-vax. I went and got vaccinated. But I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of people my age suddenly die. Just had a friend die suddenly watching TV. Don't know if it was anything to do with that, but hey, he was vaccinated. Another guy, three different people. I don't like that. But Wiggins said, look, I wish I didn't get vaccinated, to be honest with you. He was torn. Had he not gotten vaccinated, it would have been a Kyrie Irving situation. He would have been in the same boat, only able to play in some of his team games. I did it. I was an all-star this year and a champion. So that was the good part. Just not missing out on a year. The best year of my career. But listen to this. For my body. I just don't like putting all that stuff in my body. So I didn't like that. And I didn't like that it wasn't my choice. I didn't like that it was either this or don't play. See, a lot of people feel that way. Um, A lot of smart people. Felt And the smartest guy that I know, an orthopedic surgeon who has more degrees than I, well, I was going to say I have hair, but of course that's not right right now. But anyway, an orthopedic surgeon said, hey man, told his family, family, the, the, the dad, Cam Safali is one of my best friends, said, man, don't get it. Don't get it. Particularly to women. This is going back when it first came out. Don't get it. Now, look, I'm sure it saved many people's lives, including a friend of mine. My friend of mine was in ICU for weeks. Had he not gotten a vaccine, I think he would have died. People have their own thing, man, their own reaction. 
But I thought it was interesting that Andrew Wiggins said this. Despite all of the glory, despite all of the accolades, that's how he still feels. We all know my body, my choice is just crap. We all know that my body, my choice is whichever, whichever situation fits. My body, my choice for pro-life, for pro-choice people. My body, my choice not for vaccinated people. We all know that. I mean, it's a tired thing, and I'm not entering that fray. But I did think it was interesting that one of the things Wigan said, he used the word choice. I don't know. It's kind of fascinating. It really is. It, it, it's fascinating that Mitchell Wiggins, uh, Mitchell Wiggins, it's Andrew Wiggins. Mitchell was his dad. Mitchell was a great player. All right, this is really sad. This is really sad on every single level. You can't get a level that this isn't horrific at. And it's Miles Bridges yesterday officially being charged with felony accounts of abuse of his wife. Now, I covered Miles Bridges at Michigan State. I famously said to a ridiculous basketball media member that he, Miles Bridges, really had no game in college. He could shoot, he could dunk, but he didn't have shake, he didn't have game. Everybody misunderstood that, so they took that as I disliked Miles Bridges. Miles took it as I disliked Miles Bridges. I, I thought Miles Bridges was a really nice kid. In fact, he came over to me after this whole thing blew up, Hey, and I knew he was being passive-aggressive, and I liked it. Most guys would have said, hey, man, if you know, he came over, he gave me, I call it grin effing. He gave me a nice big old grin F. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Dog? Coach Dog, nice to see you. I always thought he was a nice kid. This breaks my heart for this kid, but more so, this breaks my heart for this family. Miles Bridges is facing not one, not two, but three felony domestic violence charges after being accused of assaulting his girlfriend in front of their two children last month. One felony count of injuring a child's parent, two felony counts of child abuse under circumstances or conditions likely to cause bodily injury or death. An allegation of causing bodily injury uh, on the domestic violence victim. Noted the children were present for the alleged assault but did not otherwise specify that the child abuse count, what, what the child abuse counts stem from. Child domestic violence creates physical, mental, and emotional trauma that has a lasting impact on survivors. Children who witness family violence are especially vulnerable, and the impact on them is immeasurable. I hate, I, you know, look, the guy, terrific basketball player in the NBA, fits the NBA style, is going to make a ton of money. Now he's got to worry about whether he's going to jail or not. And I absolutely hate that for his family. I hate that for his wife, mostly, and his child. But this is the story. And I do want to clear up. I never, ever disliked Miles Bridges. I dislike him now. I dislike what he did here. But going back, it really became a big thing. Every time Miles would get a bucket. See, Doc, you're an idiot. I, okay. Doug Gottlieb understood it. Basketball, Seth Greenberg understood it. Guys that were basketball guys understood it. But saying a guy has no game is a lot different than disliking the guy. And thinking a lot of people thought, see, you were right about Miles Bridges. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't right about Miles Bridges at all. No. No. I thought Miles Bridges was a really nice kid. I was wrong about that.
I never imagined my interactions covering him for whatever years he was in college and being at shoot-arounds and watching him interact with teammates and knowing some of his coaches that I ever imagined that this was going to happen. Never. Never. And frankly, I'm uh, saddened by it. Very, very saddened by it. Um, yeah. I don't like that stuff. I hate that stuff. Anybody that knows me knows I couldn't even watch the damn Wizard of Oz when I was a kid because the damn Wizard of Oz involved, ladies and gentlemen, um, involved hurting children, Dorothy. So anyway, long story short, that's an awful story. Um, Nick Saban, you got, now let me back this up for you. One of the things that, one of the reasons that you watch this show is because I'm an incredible personality and you love me. Okay, maybe not. One of the reasons is because I'm going to tell you what's real and what's not real in the world of sports. And one of the things that's real, and I mean real, is the fact that schools, coaches, assistant coaches, alumni, head coaches, hell, even sometimes chancellors and presidents will make disparaging comments about the other school about a school in their league, Alabama, Georgia. Not that the president of Alabama or Georgia has ever done I'm just giving you an example, right? So when you're out there on the road, you go, hey, Nick Saban might be retiring. How much longer can this guy go? I mean, let's be honest. If you want to play, you got to come play for us. If you want to play, you know, you got to, you know, come here. You got to play for a younger man. You may sign up with Saban and let's say you're there five years. You think he's going to be there? You think he's going to be there 20 years? That's what they're saying. Nick Saban's 70 years old. I got to tell you, he's as good a 70-year-old as I've seen. He's the oldest by nearly a decade in the league. I love my job. I love the relationship with players. I love the competition, the preparation. I just love it. All right. Here's where it gets nice. I wish you all would ask all the other coaches who come up here because they tell the recruits, I'm going to retire. Ask them how they know I'm going to retire when all I think about is what I'm going to do if I retire because I love what I am doing now. So how am I going to be happy if I retire? So what Nick Saban is saying there, that when Nick Saban gets out on the road and recruits, Nick Saban is, well, answering the suggestions that he's not going to be there for the duration of Joey Bag of Donuts time at Alabama. And I guarantee you, that's happening. I guarantee you when Saban first got to Alabama, they started talking about, well, you know, he's going to go back to the NBA. Well, you know, he's out of touch with modern players. I remember hearing that when he came back from the uh, NFL. Well, you know, can't coach great players, really. Okay. And then it became, once he won a bunch, well, you know, Nick Saban's going to go back to the NFL. He's got unfinished business, they would say. Really? I don't know, man. 16 years in one place, you got to come up with something else. So what is it? Well, you know, 
Oh, you know, he's going to retire. He's going to retire. I got to tell you, I'm going to start working out, well, probably never, but sometime, because I want to look as good as Nick Saban looks at 70 and run out there on the field and be able to run out there on the field at 70. Hey, I'm taking every freaking thing that there is. I forget what my wife got me, but I think Joe Rogan talked about it for your joints. I'm taking it. I am. I don't think I'm turning 60 a month from today. Is today the 17th? If Anybody know it's today the 17th? I think it is. My mom says I couldn't. This is my mom right here. My mom is watching. I don't know if you can see this. My mom says you couldn't watch Bambi or even Dumbo. I don't like when kids get hurt, man. I don't like it. Which makes my latest controversy funny to me. My latest controversy, today's controversy in the Indy Star is, two and a half years ago, I apologized to a town. The town is called Scottsburg, Indiana. Scott County was riddled with meth and all kind of stuff. All right? So I went on a rant. Here's how it went down. I've never actually talked about this. I'm walking into my studio. I had just received an award from high school coaches for standing up for them. I walk into my studio, and at the height, in the middle of a pandemic, this small town of Scottsburg fires a man named J- Brett Jameson. I've never met, still haven't met Brett Jameson. I walk in, and somebody goes, hey, you see this story? So what do I do? I lose my mind, literally. We had a saying on our show, because Indiana and Kentucky don't like each other, and we say John Calipari won't come back to Assembly Hall. We always say, hey, when you're headed to Florida, take a dump in Kentucky. So I use that. Hey, when you're headed to Scottsburg, you know, take a dump in Scottsburg. I apologize for that. That was in bad taste. But I got great voicemails from a lot of people, including a lot of very prominent people in Kentucky that knew the joke. I also went after a school board too vociferously, but I knew nobody. I didn't know that the coach's name other than reading an article, and I didn't know any player on the team. Certainly didn't know. And I just go on this rant. I'm just ranting. Ah, everybody's a meth head, blah, 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 blah. That turns into my, my friends at the Indy Star saying, Doggett's called a high school player a meth head. And they painted it like I called a specific player a meth head, which I know I didn't do. Apparently, now I got nothing to do with any of this. Apparently, uh, I don't know if our station deleted the audio or if YouTube, as Dylan and Ryan can attest to, Dylan, we have to be careful what we play because YouTube, where our audio goes out, can delete the day show if we play the wrong music, correct? I didn't even prep you on this. I should have. Can you talk if correct? Correct. Just dealing with like the different copyright variations. Yeah, so all of a sudden, the audio's deleted, but the Indy Star has audio, and it clearly shows that I did not call a kid a meth head, a specific kid. I said, everybody's a meth head. You, you, you didn't play my kid because he's a meth head, all that kind of stuff, and which I apologized for two years ago. Yesterday, a kid pops up and says, I'm the kid you called a meth head. 
I got to tell you, uh, it became a story. And I'm like, well, if I, you know, I never knew who the kid's name was. I never knew any of it. Now, the shakedown on this, it's not really a shakedown. Uh, a friend of mine, Nigel, he's part of uh, Hammer and Nigel. They're the number one rated show in Indianapolis. Uh, Hammer comes on my show uh, all the time on Thursdays. I should get Nigel on. Nigel sent me a text yesterday, and they're basically making fun of the indie stuff. They're saying, well, yesterday it was this writer. Now today it's this writer. Uh, you are being uh, slammed for something. Let me see. Good Lord, man, what is their obsession with you? What a bunch of weirdos. Doyle tagged out, it's Dana's turn. I said, yeah, I don't know. I was playing golf, actually. I, I suppose I'm getting what I deserve. Okay, fine. I, you know, that'll be a headline tomorrow. And my man Nigel goes, for something you didn't say three years ago? I go, huh. And just think, if you cut a $5,000 check, this could all go away. I believe that's what's called a shakedown. That's from my friend Nigel. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not cutting a check. I would. I would. I got no problem cutting a check. I've cut checks for things that, you know, whatever. No, actually, that's not true. If I have screwed up, I apologize. I've apologized to many people over the years. I'm not cutting a check. Kid makes this grandstand. The high school coach got involved. The high school coach basically starts calling out everybody. The high school coach called it out to the point where he got absolutely crushed by one of the writers at the Star. To the point where everybody's All-American, Rex Chapman chimed in. Now, the tweet to this poor high school coach, who's got no dog in the fight, he doesn't know me. He was accused of be, uh, by, by the writers of being my source. He's got, I got no dog, hey, I don't know the guy. I talked to him one time back three years ago. He called to thank me for defending him when he got fired unjustly. And as I was talking to him, a bunch of my friends came in with pizzas. So I said, hey, look, I'll call you back. And I never did. I haven't talked to the guy ever since. Text never. But he got accused of being a source. The tweet to the credit of the star has been deleted. Good for them. Good for the writer of the star. They realize their mistake. Uh, going after just a high school coach who has said, I don't know Dockage, I just want to tell you the truth. So anyway, I, if I had said a kid's name and I'd cause any type of pain, man, I'd pay $5,000 in a second. Kid's a 3.9 student. That's freaking awesome. Kid's playing uh, football. This is a, from a tweet text that he sent to everybody yesterday at the Star tweets that he sent. I'm very happy for him. Looks like he's got a nice charity. Going to have a fantastic Future, good for him. But I had no idea who that kid was. His dad apparently was the superintendent, or is the superintendent, was the superintendent. I never said the superintendent's son. So, look, read what you want. Say I'm a bad guy. I'm sure there's more to come. It'll get more interesting. But um, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't know what to tell you. And I'm not mad at this stuff. I'm not mad at anybody. It is what it is. I bring a lot of it on myself. I got big shoulders. Anyway, um, as we move along on the day, we got dancing beamers. Yeah, we do. We got dancing dad and dancing Shane Beamer. Uh-huh. That's part of what the hell Wednesday. Yeah, we do. We got the dancing beamers. We got more on Nick Saban. Nick Saban don't like no vacations. I'm with Nick Saban. I never took a vacation. 
How about this? What the hell? Minor League Baseball. They're bragging about making a living wage. I got a comedian that I think is so good. In fact, this comedian is so good and so honest, just me saying his name will get another article written. Just me saying his name. I don't even have to go into, and it's not Dave Chappelle. But if I mention the dude's name, and then, of course, later on at the 10 o'clock hour, we've got the great Bobby Barack. The great Bobby Barack is America's conscience. He is. He's America's conscience. By the way, not only did Rex Chapman chime in, you know who Jeff Perlman is? Jeff Perlman wrote Winning Time, that Lakers thing. I loved it. He chimed in. He went a little more political on me. He apparently was mad because my high school baseball coach, Dave Pisker, said that he would vouch for me at the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. You have to have a guy speak for you, meaning you go in front of a committee and somebody has to speak for you in front of this committee on why you should be in the Hall of Fame. In an article on me, a scathing article, a dramatic takedown of me two days ago, the writer of the article said he was going to speak for me but I'm such a bad guy that nobody will speak for me. Well, I've known all along, I didn't want the writer to speak for me. I wanted my high school baseball coach, the winningest coach in the history of Indiana high school baseball, the winner of eight state championships. That's, I always knew I didn't want some writer speaking for me. <laughs> I always knew. So September 15th, but apparently that pissed off the great writer Jeff Perlman, Rex Chapman, Indy Star, Jeff Perlman. Oh, <laughs> there'll be more. There'll be more. There's threats every day made against me. But we're right here, people. I got what the hell wins. Then I got Ian Miller, baby. At Ian MSC. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk all kind of stuff. Where you going? Do you say, Mom? Mom, I know you're watching. Tell all your friends. Get to his channel. Get right now to Dan's YouTube channel, Mom. Please. I can already read the tweets. Well, I bet your mother's really proud of you. I think she is. My mom and her friend Ted, and I can't tell you their ages, but just know I am 60 and she was not a child bride, hung out at my golf hole the other day watching me interact with 144 different people, every one of them. 144 interactions, one mad writer. I think my mom's pretty proud of me. We'll be right back. It's What the Hell Wednesday. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, by the way, uh, good for Bob Kravitz. Bob Kravitz just wrote an article. And it just came out in The Athletic. Um, a bunch of years ago, I reported because, well, um, it's what I do. I reported that Andrew Luck got in a snowboarding accident. And that's one of the reasons, if not the reason, his career has ended. Everybody went nuts on me. Everybody, I got it from the right source. I got it from, you know, people that know. Uh, Bob Kravitz today in an article in The Athletic said, hey, look, um, we are... 
talking about whether or not Andrew Luck should be in the Ring of Honor. And of course, look, there's no sports today, so what the hell are you going to talk about? This is the time in Indiana where you talk a couple things. One, should Andrew Luck go in the Ring of Honor? Two, should Indiana University welcome back Bob Knight? But they already did. You know what I mean? I mean, three, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? This is the great day for that. But good for Bob Kravitz because he admits he takes some accountability, which, you know what, in Indiana, we don't see that very often. So Bob Kravitz, pretty good guy, worked with him. Good for Bob Kravitz. Took a little accountability. Yeah, baby. All right. What the hell is going on here Wednesday? Can we just call it like we see it, Ryan and Dylan? Can we just call it that Shane Beamer is awesome now? For those of you in Indianapolis that want to know why sometimes shows get deleted, there's not going to be any audio on this, right? Because we don't know if the song is copyrighted and we don't want this day's show taken down by a uncopyrighted song. All right? Play it, baby. Let's see a little Shane Beamer and what he's got going on. What's, there he is. He follows me on Twitter. What a good dude. Look at this. He's just walking in. I wish we could have the audio, but we can't. (laughs) I read something where, you know what? He said it just kind of happened. I'm so glad that I coached in an era where coaches didn't have to dance. Because I love to dance. I dance with my wife in the kitchen. I love slow dancing with my wife, you know. But my wife, uh, whenever we get, you know, she just laughs at me. Because I immediately go, what is it called? The white man overbite? You can play a song, and if I start dancing, it's coming. All right. But Shane Beamer gets it from his dad. Am I right about this, Ryan? Am I right about this, Dylan? Oh, Coach Beamer? There he is. That and that. That. Old white guys always give it a little bit of this. A little bit of that. <laughs> I'm telling you, old white guys. I'm telling you. Old white guys do it all the time. It's our move. Why you got to be talking about a white guy? Because it's, I'm a white guy. It's my move. My wife's always like, you're always like this. Keep it in tight and shake it a little bit. I'm the worst. Like, I'd rather dance at six foot five with a girl that's five foot nothing to stairway to heaven for three, eight, ten minutes. There's a, you know, and a back hurting, sweating like a slob, then have to do one, one fast dance. Just one. Couldn't do it. Hate it. Not doing it. The dancing. Can we see that again? Can we see that montage of dancing beamers again? I got to see if old coach gives it one of these. He doesn't. Shane Beamer's the man. Look at him. In shape. Great shoes. Got a great look about him. Moving smooth. And boom. Yeah. Dan, why is there no audio? Let's see the coach. Go see if the tooth comes over the lip. 
See if that happens. I don't know if it does. Can we see uh, Pops, Frank? <laughs> Let me see. No. Oh, he's gyrating. Oh, I think he... Uh, oh, he's covering the face. Oh! What is that? Nene? Dap? What is that? <laughs> oh, That's the yeah, dap. you can do it. <laughs> That's What is that? The dap? Uh, let me it. shake. Let me nay nay. <laughs> the dancing beamers. Mom, be glad you and my late father never, and I mean never, chaperone a dance. There he is. Uh-oh. He's going with the lips. He's not going with the overbite. I can't. Yeah, well, that's another move, isn't it? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> See the lips? You can always tell old white dudes. We gotta do, we gotta, we don't know what to do with our hands. See, he doesn't know. He's giving it this. He, and he's like, oh crap. But we always. I'm going with that from now on. Hey Lee! Lee! No more overbite! I figured it out! Yeah. I like it. All right, that's the that's, that's the dancing beamers. All right, you can file this one under, well, who didn't see this coming? Apparently, apparently, uh, we'll go back to Coach Saban because he's the biggest name in football. Apparently, Coach Saban um, doesn't like vacation. All right? When you go on, apparently, uh, when you go on vacation, Nick Saban feels like he's always got to be doing something. Now, I don't understand that. I legitimately, first vacation I think I went on as a coach, Urban Meyer, his family, my wife, my family, and our friend Jerry Bat, we all went on vacation. Urban set it up. We went to this. He just got the Florida job. And we all went down to like one of these JW Marriott's down in Fort Lauderdale, I think. I think that's where it was. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I, I, I did not know. I'm like, Urban, what do we do? He goes, oh, man, you just lay here, play with the kids. And that was when texting first came out. So I didn't even know how to text. So I'm sitting there going, laying there, and I'm like, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't know what to do. I was one of those coaches that, to do. Eight in the morning if I needed, seven, six, didn't matter, to whenever the job was done. Sometimes the job was done after practice, six, seven o'clock. Sometimes the job wasn't done till midnight. Sometimes I slept in the office. I was one of those guys. I didn't even know how to do vacation. Nick Saban doesn't like vacations. A lot of people love vacations. I'm the leader of an organization. I'm not the leader when I'm on vacation. When I get the list to take the garbage out, run the sweeper, pledge the refrigerator, it's always after a certain period of time refreshing to be able to go back to work so that I can be a leader of an organization. I got to tell you, I swear to God I got that. As a coach, I totally understood that you're most comfortable behind your desk dealing with everything. Recruiting calls, uh, returning calls, 
workouts, player workouts, uh, media, whatever. You're so I was, and I totally understand what Nick Saban is saying. I get it. I do 100%. I get it. Nick Saban is saying, like, when I go on vacation, it's too loose. It's, it's uncomfortable. You know, I don't know if he means pledge the refrigerator, like get out pledge and wipe down the refrigerator. That's what I think he means. Or maybe it's some southern term that pledge the refrigerator means in the north, stocked. I don't know. I don't know. But I do understand what he's saying. Hey, you know, when you go on vacation and you're the rich guy, which I've never really been, you kind of organize everything. Like, I remember the um, same vacation. Urban's like, all right, tonight the guys are going to a comedy club, and we're going to act like idiots, and uh, the women are going to you know, do whatever, and then tomorrow morning we're all getting up and we're all going fishing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when you're, the, when you're the guy, you're the guy. I've been on two of those with Urban, and they're a blast. But, man, I feel bad for him because he's got to do all the organizing organizing. I was just along for the road. Totally get it. Totally, completely get it. I don't blame him. All right. This I don't think should be celebrated. This should have been talked about a thousand years ago. Um, I really believe this. Like I had friends in the minor leagues for years. I had friends that played in the minor leagues and they talked about a couple of things. The first thing that my friends told me, and this is going back to the 80s, all right? I mean, yeah, 80s. Hey, man, you know who can really play? Who's that? Dominicans. I'll never forget my buddy Billy Mueller, catcher in the St. Louis uh, Cardinals organization. He was doing pretty well, and he broke his wrist. He said, I got to tell you, man, Dominicans can really play. And the next thing you knew, you know, maybe they were even more then. I don't know. But all, all of a sudden, particularly Cardinals, I think, had a bunch. The other thing was how poor everyone was. You know, it really was interesting. Minor league salaries, uh, players, listen to this, players not on the 40-man roster receive 4,800 4, to 14,700 annually. That was their paycheck. How about that? That's what they paid. Most of them, obviously, had to work a second job. The Major League Baseball, or uh, the Manford, the commissioner, settled a $185 million class action lawsuit by minor leaguers who alleged minimum wage and overtime violations by teams. Covered more than 20,000 players. It's going to distribute more than $120 million across the group of players and calls for Major League Baseball to allow teams to play, pay minor league players during spring training, extended spring training, and instructional leagues. How can you have players at spring training and not pay them? How can they be a part of your organization and not pay them? That legitimately makes zero sense to me. Now, I guess we're going to celebrate, and the what the hell part in this is, what the hell, 4,800 to live on? As a professional athlete, 14700 is the most to live on as a professional athlete? What in the hell? And people are saying now how great this is that they're going to jump it up. That's fine. That's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But my God, isn't it amazing? Isn't it absolutely amazing? that that's where these guys were at for so very long. 
Man. It really is. It really and truly is. So anyway, that's that what the hell. Next, what the hell. All right, by even saying this man's name, I'm assuming that there will be, oh, you're homophobic, sexist, whatever, but I love Bill Burr. I love watching Bill Burr last night. Bill Burr, I got home, I played golf with some friends of mine. We played in the men's league. And it was me, my buddy Tom, played against two dudes, good, good friends of mine. I'm not going to say their names. One was 75, one was 74, and we almost lost. But anyway, I got home, and uh, my wife, my wife, best friend Jamie, they had just put Sharon to bed. Sharon is Jamie's mother. She is battling like hell, dementia, and they've been staying at our house. So it was time. I've told everybody I have an unhealthy, unhealthy addiction to A&W, zero sugar. Unhealthy. Very unhealthy every night. So I got out my mug that my wife describes as having a science project on the bottom of it because I refused to clean it. I dumped my A&W in. And we went right to Bill Bill Burr. Hilarious stuff on the WNBA. My wife, who is a sports legend in the state of Michigan, in the state of Ohio, in New York, as both a player and a coach, was nodding her head going, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. There's your article for tomorrow, Indianapolis Star. Dockage is every kind of bick, faux bick, and ist, because he likes Bill Burr. I don't kind of like Bill Burr. I enjoy the living hell out of Bill Burr. I think Bill Burr is one of the funniest dudes ever because Bill Burr is not afraid to say whatever the hell Bill Burr wants to say in a common sense manner that has to offend every single human being that isn't a real human being. But what I mean by that is he has to offend all of these people that want to act a certain way. In fact, he makes fun of white people's wokeness. It's hilarious. The WNBA stuff, hilarious. I mean, so freaking funny. He is coming to a, um, he's coming to a place near you. The closest to me looks to be Bloomington, Indiana which I'm guessing is going to defend all the little libbies of Bloomington. you got to understand, Bloomington is arguably, outside of the state of California, Indiana University has got to be one of, if not the most liberal universities in the country. Again, outside of the state of California. But he's coming there on the 30th, and then he's headed to Cincinnati the next day. (laughs) I'm telling you, it is absolutely the funniest show you're ever going to see. Because it's perfectly timed. Cancel culture, all this kind of stuff, man, he just steps right up. He just steps right up and bam, punches it right in the face. I can see the headline. Dawkins likes Bill Burr. Tells me all we need to know. (laughs) I'm sorry, man. I love Bill Burr. Salute. I'd like to get Bill Burr on our show. I'm following Bill Burr now. He should be following me. What are we doing? I don't know. But anyway, um, 
Long story short, do yourself a favor. Sit down. Get a little wine. True story. I mean, I may, may have had a margarita also. Maybe. But, man, frosty mug, A&W Zero, pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right, somebody just lost their mind, and I love it. One other thing that I do that you'll never see reported, I like to tip. I tip. Hey, Lee! Now, I got to say, on a $13 bill, I would generally leave five. Now, I don't know if that's a big tip or not, all right? I don't know. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. But that's my tip. The other day, Lee and I and her friend went to this uh, restaurant on the water over here. It's called Wolfie's, all right? We had, a, we had a meal that a, a nice 20, 25% tip uh, would have been 10 bucks. I went 40. And I'm bragging on it because I think people that don't tip suck. <laughs> Can you put that back up there? But I don't know, man. $3,000 on a tip is pretty freaking awesome. I would love to, not like to, I would love not to be the girl that got the tip. No. I would love to be somebody that could do that. Like, I think that would be freaking awesome. Like, if I had Barkley money or I had Shaq money, oh, my God. It would be, whoa, let's see. It was from a $13 bill, $3,000 tip. Uh, Miranda Lambert, Miranda Lambert, Mariana Lambert said she recently waited on a customer at Alfredo's Pizza Cafe in Scranton. Isn't that the home of the office? Received a $3,000 tip along with a $13 payment for a Strom. We ran his car and everything went through. We took his ID, took pictures of everything. They waited a little bit to make sure it was legit and went through and it ended up being real. Matt Martini spoke to the customer, Eric Smith, who explained he was from out of town. And he left a generous gratuity as part of the Tips for Jesus social media trend. Tips for Jesus was written on the receipt. It meant a lot to me because everyone's going through stuff. It really touched my heart. I can't believe it. I'm still in shock. The extra cash will allow her to pay some bills and take a vacation. Damn right. I like that. I like that a lot. All right. Next what the hell. Is this possible? Can this actually happen? Can Vanderbilt be the best football program in the country? Is this possible? I got to tell you, I love what the coach is doing here. I love that the coach stood up at the SEC media days and said, hey, man, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Clark Leah, LEA, I assume. Went two and ten last year. Eight consecutive seasons below 500. He said this: We know in time Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. He said there are no cheat codes. 
And getting there will be a long, long, hard process. We've engaged in what has become a unique form of team building. We're a relationship-driven, student-athlete-focused program that values the holistic development of our people over all else. To this, this isn't an antiquated concept. It still matters. When you do the right things the right way with the right people, with respect and appreciation, you will not be denied. Amen. When you're smart in design and disciplined in approach, you win out in time. All right? They beat UConn, and they beat Colorado State. And I'm going to tell you, uh, is there any way, Ryan or Dylan, that we could get Coach Leon and tell him that we're behind him? Look, I get so tired of woe is me and, I don't know, all the other stuff. I like people with enthusiasm. I like people with some juice to them. Let's go. Coach is going here. They open up August 27th at Hawaii. Let's go. Let's beat the Rainbow Warriors and let's go. My daughter lives in Nashville. I think it'd be a blast if Vanderbilt got good. I remember being in Nashville last year when Georgia came in. And we went to a rooftop bar for dinner. And man, apparently every dude that looked like a Georgia guy wearing a Georgia shirt, so they were a Georgia guy. You know what I'm talking about, looks like a Georgia guy, hair like that, you know, big set of hair. It looked like they just came from a fraternity, either mixer or alumni event. They were all in this restaurant. Be nice to see Vanderbilt kick their ass. I think that'd be fun. I'm all in on Coach Lake. I'd like to get him in here. Yeah. He named Mike Wright the starter, called him the, one of the best quarterbacks in the country when it comes to mobility. Now, 10 games last year, eight touchdowns, six interceptions, rushed for 376. He's got to be a little more productive than that. But, hey, it's freaking great. No problem. People have lost their damn mind. Uh, fellas, can you just play this video coming up here? People have just lost their damn minds. Be teaching you guys some ways that video. my friends and I meow to one another to communicate when words just seem a little too difficult. So here we go. Okay, so first off, we have the normal meow that we just use mostly to get each other's attention. Meow. Okay, then we have the dissatisfied meow. Then the angry meow, but we only use this one. Do we not on have the audio. Because have the audio. Overall, we're a very happy kid and family. <coughs> then the happy or content meow. Meow. I don't want to tell you. Is that a cry for help? Is that real? Is that mental health? Pro I don't know. I don't know. But when you when you <laughs> When you get on Twitter, you see a lot of that. Like, you see all that. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, the libs of TikTok are fantastic, and you see that out of teachers. We're meowing. You know, they're actually, I think this is true. I never know anymore what's a parody account and what's real. I, I don't. Um, I have no idea, and I don't think anybody does. But when you see that, you go, all right, is that? Wait, what?
That's the world we live in. I'm sorry, let me go back. I don't know, again, whether these are parody accounts or not, but I have seen legitimately on Twitter from somebody with more than two followers accounts that some schools are actually putting litter boxes in their bathrooms because kids, people, whatever, think that um, they're cats. Let me tell you something. If she's meowing and she's a cat, I want to see her go around on all fours spraying. (laughs) That's what I'd like to see. Hey, if you're a cat, be a cat. Somebody wants to be a tree. Let me see some leaves fall off. Let me see some acorns out of you know where. See what we got going here. The hell we doing? Today, I identify as a cat. Tomorrow, I don't know. I'm living my best life. Okay. Now, I'm sorry, but there's a cry for help. I'm sorry, but there's something going on there. And if you don't think that there is, and good for you, man, then we have a difference of opinion. And, oh, my God, we can't have a difference of opinion. How would that be? That would be horrible. I must go into your past and find something wrong with you. All right, we come back. America's conscious. Last time Bobby was on our show, I think it drew 190,000 views or something. Bobby Barak is, ladies and gentlemen, America's conscious. He is the smartest man in the history of television. And it's 10 o'clock. You know what that means? I do have to go potty. I'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. I think today's my lucky day. I literally just got up from my seat and found a dollar. Smell it. Anyway. It was. It was wedged back here. I wonder if there's any more. You know how it is. When you find one dollar, you find another. There's no other show in America where the host gets up in the middle and says he has to go potty. But that's our show. There's no better writer in the United States, and I say this absolute with all sincerity, than Outkick's Bobby Barak. He is, ladies and gentlemen, the social conscious of America because he tells it like it is. Bobby, nice enough to join me. Your last one is maybe your best. History will not be kind to this bizarro world. You go through it all. Let's start with Biden. Yeah, Dan. Um, you know, I've been pondering this idea for a while. In the past two weeks, there's just been so many examples that made it where I thought it was the perfect time to write this. Um, at one point, at some point, I don't know when, hopefully not too far in the future, we're going to look back at this time just stunned and embarrassed about what's going on. And we can take it step by step. And you mentioned Biden. And, um, you know, I put in the piece that I don't believe that he's the most consequential character of this tale. I think that um, there's a lot more dangerous and damning things going on. But he is the lead character. And I think um, at some point, actually, I don't think doubt, we're going to look back and say, wait a minute, we had a guy in the most prestigious role in the world leading the free world, and he can't read a teleprompter, he can't speak, he's using cue cards to remember the thoughts that somebody else told him to have. I mean, this all reads like satire, except it's not. Hardly anybody is laughing because we don't do a lot of laughing right now. Um 
the same media that protected this guy and hid him from the spotlight during the campaign because they wanted him to beat Donald Trump, they're now turning on him and expediting his fall. The New York Times put out a piece last week, really just kicking the guy when he's down, saying um, there's cords around the White House. He might fall and hurt himself. It's like, what? Um I've never seen anything like that, that a president's going to fall in the White House because there's wires and cords loose. I, mean, I think it's stunning what's going on. Um, I, I used the analogy before. If you were to tell somebody six years ago what was to come, they would have said, no way is that possible. But now it is possible. And now it's reality. And uh, there's just no way that history will be kind to this current era. Yeah, I want. I was going through this as you were talking, and um, there are on the floor of White House cords. There are different things that a person shuffling. And again, we're all going to get old, and we're all going to do this. But if you're the president of the United States, as you said, the most powerful man in the world, son of a, you know what? Um, I don't know. Isn't it I, well uh, a little dangerous? To have all this? And how stupid were we for electing this? Because everybody knew this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, yeah, I, mean, I don't doubt there's cores and wires on the floor, but I think just to, for that to be the headline and what has been long known as the paper of record just shows, shows how wacky this culture is. Like, I don't, that's not a headline that would have been written at any other time, but now it's just been normalized because of where we are. Um, yeah, absolutely. I go back to, the, you know, if you look back at, say, the 90s, early 2000s, it was really the, the rise of, like, political satire on TV and online. I mean, you can't even parody, make a parody out of this stuff now because the actual reality of it is so strange and so concerning, I guess, in some ways, worth giggling about. Um, when, when I was writing this piece, Danny, here's a little background on, I think, my approach to these stories is you don't want to just list 10, 20 examples because then the piece just reads like, oh, a list of a guy who has just compiled all these examples. So you try to narrow out the best ones and then explain why this is happening, not what is happening, but why. And I had such a hard time narrowing out the examples because there were so many instances that prove that the guy in charge couldn't lead a summer softball team. Um, I just find that mind-boggling that out of all the people in the world or the country, this is the guy elected. Um, yeah, I mean, as a this day in history, none of Biden's, um, any of his moments are going to be remembered in any way but shame and humiliation. When did we lose the ability to describe what a woman is? Yeah, so I think this is actually what I would say the more consequential development of the past two years is this assault on the truth that the truth doesn't really matter anymore. It's um, often inconvenient, especially for that example that, right, people apparently don't know what a woman is now or they say they don't. Um, and it, it's just, again, it's just an insult to common sense. It's in a attack on the most basic facts ever. I mean, you know, it, it, a three-year-old can tell whether that's a man or a woman, but Ivy League educated lawyers can't, you know, Berkeley professors can't. 
journalists can't. Uh, it's all just so wacky and just it shows how weakened we've become as a society that we are willing to subvert this truth and go along with the idea that there's some uncertainty, the difference between a man and a woman or which gender can have a baby and which one can. I mean, you saw that with Senator Josh Hawley. He questioned the idea that men could have babies and some law professor said, you're transphobic and you're dangerous. What? Um, and, and so Rachel Campos Duffy from Fox and Friends discussed this topic with me probably back in November. And she was like, Bobby, it's not that people woke up and are all of a sudden confused or uncertain. It's that this is the new societal trend, or at least the trend on social media. And there's such a rush to want to fit in and secure the advantages that come with fitting in, going along to get along, that people are willing to just ignore their own better judgment because they either A, want to be a part of the cool kids, they want to be the woke, or, or B, they're just so afraid of pushing back. I mean, I would argue, whether it's Leah Thomas competing against women or the idea that men could have birth or the male um, male emoji of the guy having a pregnant belly, I would guess 80% of the country thinks those ideas are wacky and unreasonable, but such a small percentage is willing to say that because of all the disadvantages that come with being labeled, like that professor said, transphobic. Um, I put in the piece, let that be a warning to everybody that if you deny these false realities, somebody, whether it's a professor or boss or coworker, they're going to start labeling you transphobic, just like racism was the buzzword of two years ago that sunk so many careers. Apparently now it's transphobia. You know, most of America, to your point, uh, Rachel Campos Duffy told uh, OutKick, most of America, I'd say 80%, think Leah Thomas competing in female athletics hurts girls. That includes Democratic women, Bobby. But because there's so much sensitivity about hurts transgenders, people won't take a public stand and say this. I've always said, first one to accuse uh, wins. Like, I'm the first one to accuse you of racism. You can't come back at me or transfer. That's almost like what it is. First one to accuse wins. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that reluctance to fight back and push back. I mean, like... I put in the piece that professor said that Holly is a dangerous anti-LGBT bigot. I mean, there's no proof of that. Him citing biology and a fact that was known in every other society, but for, you know, 19 months ago, that's not an example of an anti-LGBT bigot. I mean, that's just somebody telling the truth, talking about reality. And you're right. Once those words come down, those labels are had, people just go in a corner and hope they go away. They don't fight back or defend themselves. Um, and that's what's so disappointing, I think, about this politically correct and uber sensitive society is that people don't stand up and say, um, me telling the truth is not homophobic, racist, or transphobic. We're allowed to have an opinion. And just because some blue check on social media pretending to represent a 
supposedly marginalized group is offended doesn't mean your statement is offended. I mean, it is, it's not, you know, it's not bullying Leah Thomas to say this person should not be competing against females. How do we know that? Because the teammates of Thomas have told news outlets anonymously because they're afraid that Thomas is taking opportunities away from them and walking around the locker room with male genitalia and disturbing them. Um, to me, that's a pretty good case to say what's going on is wrong. And all the people involved need to look themselves in the mirror and ask themselves, why are we doing this? Why are we going along with this? A um, couple of other things, if you don't mind. What's going on? What's going on with Jamel, Tom, with Jamel Hill? What's the latest? What's the latest? <laughs> this is pretty good. So Allie Beth Stuckey uh, is a podcast host for The Blaze. I think she's actually one of the rising media near the top of the list. Uh, she got into it last night with Jamel on Twitter. And uh, see, Jamel someone, as you see from her account, she's pretty good at owning the trolls. She's able to pick out a troll for using the, the wrong your or something like that. But whenever she steps in an arena with somebody who is smart or witty, she just exposes herself. Um, she was so in over her head. I don't know if you have the tweets pulled up, but uh, some of the things she was saying was just so self-owning. They were debating abortion rights and whether you're for or against the overturning of her role, you could just tell that Jamel was clearly the weak fighter in this battle. Um, I mean, it was just so unbelievably funny. Um, here's, a, here's one of the tweets Jamel says. She goes, quote, this might be a difficult concept for Jim Harbaugh of uh, grammatical error of any anti-choice person to grasp. But if you don't want an abortion, just don't get one, Coach Harbaugh. Not that hard. Uh, and right after that, Allie Beth Stuckey chimes in. She says, according to your totally rock-solid logic, there should be no laws against anything. If we don't like something, assault, murder, theft, we just shouldn't do it. I mean, that's a pretty good point. And Jamal doesn't really have a comeback. I mean, her comeback is pretty much this some of y'all just don't get it i mean dan if yeah. there's ever well, a yeah. i mean if there's ever a way to say i just got owned by my critics i think jamel just showed how to do it the two that i really like some of y'all just don't get it or some of you <laughs> just don't get it and i like you're not ready for this conversation that's my favorite i think you're not ready for this conversation. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, that, you know, it is amazing to me, Bobby. Bobby Burak, so great. Uh, nice enough to join us. Look, um, it's sad, really. But I want to go now, a GoFundMe for a guy that went and shot up a house. How are we going to explain that in 30 years? Yeah, this is another great one. We, um, Dan, you and I can say we lived at a time where social media and GoFundMe said a guy who shot up an apartment at a mother's house with her two kids was the victim. On second Saturday, it happened. Some violent criminal, I don't even know the guy's name, started shooting at somebody's window. The, the mom in the house with her kids, you know, 
hunkered in trying to dodge the bullets, called the police. The police came and shot him because he wouldn't stop shooting at civilians. So he died. And protesters gathered around her house. Of course, the shooter was black, so they said it was racist. And um, social media pretty much said, this is an example of systemic racism. If this was a white guy, um, none of this would have happened. Um, which, I mean, you could Google that there's a lot of examples of when white guys start shooting at apartments. The police obviously has to shoot them back because, I mean, he might kill somebody. But yeah, GoFundMe, which is really a bizarre company at this point, they raised $15,000 for this violent criminal and his family and raised 2000 for the woman who was inside her apartment eating dinner with her kids and was getting shot at by a series of bullets. Um, if that doesn't describe a backward culture, I'm not exactly sure what does. And, and just saying this stuff out loud, again, it makes me feel like I'm reading a script for a satire film, but I'm not. This actually happened. It just happened a couple of days ago. And there's just no way to describe it except that we are completely lost and have been led down this false reality where we now support criminals, not mothers with their kids who are being shot at for basically no reason. Um, I, it's just wild to me. Uh, but yeah, like you said, um, these are stories that are going to be long lasting. And sometime we're going to look back and say, what exactly were we doing as a community to ever try to excuse something like that? Bobby, you question or you maintain the other day that LeBron James, this is your tweet, is the biggest fraud on the internet. We've got Rex, of course. We've got uh, Taylor Lorenz, the Washington Post, Stephen King. Walk me through your thought on LBJ. LB, yeah, as the biggest fraud on earth. Yes, I want to make a note. Keith, I've retired Keith Olbermann from that conversation because Olbermann okay. is number one. Right. But you don't want to keep rehashing yeah. the same guy. So he's retired. So Olbermann's number one. So LeBron is the new number one because Olbermann has been retired. Yeah, I, I just find LeBron so loathsome now. I mean, I, like Friday, he tweeted out that or said it on one of his shows that Boston sports fans were racist. AF that they were just the most racist people around and he hates going there because he sees all these racists. Well, a couple of years ago, LeBron joined a group to buy the Boston Red Sox. So Red Sox part owner, whatever you want to call him, LeBron secured rights to this team, but thinks the sports fans are racist. I mean, we, there's just so many examples of this. I mean, I compiled some of them a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is a guy who, um, you know, claimed that somebody sprayed racist graffiti on his mansion, but a couple of years later, there's still no proof. I don't think there's any evidence that that was true. Uh, this is a guy who called the entire country systemically racist and that there was no way a black athlete could succeed in this systemically racist country. And a few years later, he becomes a billionaire. So uh, congrats to him on that. He said that police were actively hunting down people like him and trying to murder him. You know, the list goes on and on and on. This is a guy who is a great basketball player, but really has no knowledge of anything else, but is using his platform that his basketball career, career awarded him to try to chime in and be some activist or social justice warrior. I mean, we just talked about Jamel exposing herself one tweet at a time. LeBron 
I mean, that's a whole nother level. And just to sum up how confused this guy is, uh, 10 days ago, he told Brittany Griner, um, if I were her, I would maybe consider not coming back to the U.S. And he got crushed for this, surprisingly. And Jamel Hill, out of all people, rushes to his defense saying, the evil media <laughs> is taking LeBron out of context. And what does LeBron do? He uses Jamel as validation. He's like, when a smart woman says something, you all ought to believe that. So LeBron is using Jamel Hill as validation of his character. I find that to be the best tweet I've seen in a long time, Dan. So LeBron is an idiot. I think he's really bad on Twitter. I don't think he really knows what he's talking about unless it's about basketball. But as far as content, he is the gift that just keeps on giving because there is he never is able to sit out a conversation, and that's what makes it so hilarious. The only one he sat out was the murder at by his school. That's the only one he sat out. Right, yeah. So, I mean, that um, he sits out that, you know, he'll sit out, you know, if there's a new report about um, concentration camps in China. But anything about, like, that makes it on CNN or MSNBC, LeBron's all for it. I mean, he, he cannot wait to give his opinion on these. Like, he's some authority on anything but, you know, getting the ball in the hoop. A lot like um, Rex Chapman, right? Chap our, Chapman's the same way. Like, he thinks, if there's a story, I got to chime in. And Rex Chapman is another one who just is so self-owning. Every time he posts, you just think, how does this guy even have the ability to walk outside and get in his car? I mean, he's just totally lost. Uh, Rex Chapman, didn't, didn't Clay just absolutely find the racist tweets of Rex a, a few weeks ago that have since been deleted, uh, tried to be deleted, obviously? Yeah, Rex Chapman is the typical everything's racist, but don't check my racist history type of guy. Um, there's no surprise. Um, I mean, he made a racist remarks about Justice Clarence Thomas just a month ago. I mean, and it is 2022. And word is, is you can't have you can't criticize uh, most people in 2022. And Rex Chapman was using phrases and retweeting stuff like Uncle Clarence, but clearly racial undertones. The real racial undertones, not the ones that the media always accuse other people of. But yeah, Chapman is he really is what it means to be woke. It's like hey, I'm ashamed of my past, so I'm going to try to ruin your life to exonerate myself. So a guy that talks so much about racism has a long, deep history of racist tweets. I find that so telling, uh, but no surprise at all. I mean, all of these people have shown themselves to just be complete frauds. I mean, Ibram X. Kendi, Sean King, Chapman, Tiffany Cross, Chris Hayes, Chris Cuomo, the list goes on and on. Um, the people who preach the most about racism and injustices and bigotry are the biggest racist bigots and, um, you know, people who have gained from other groups being supposedly marginalized. I mean, it's all a loop. Um, it, it's just a self-serving quest. Uh, so Chapman, uh, one of the worst of the worst. And I hope uh, he does eventually answer for some of those tweets, just because if the roles were reversed and he was on the attack, he would not let anyone go out without answering for that. But of course, Tim, he's already moved on and started stealing videos again and retweeting, you know, out of context revisionist history posts. So he seems to be 
hoping to dodge this. Um, the good thing for him is because CNN folded so quickly and his show did so poorly, it's one episode, CNN did not retain him. So this guy doesn't really have a job right now. So he doesn't answer to anybody but himself. Yeah, you know, one of the things, he started to come at me. I got the Indy Star coming at me, same kind of thing. Guy who's sad about his own life is just crushing me every chance he gets. Chapman pipes in there. What does Stephen King do? What's his deal? I haven't really followed this one. He's on your list. Well, this one's harder because I'm a Stephen King fan. He's actually my favorite author. I think he's brilliant. The way he can tell a story or develop characters um he, he's just so interesting but on twitter he's just a loon uh, a couple of weeks ago he shared this story that has been debunked for now 14 months that ron DeSantis was making children and their parents you know claim their political affiliation before they join a school um it was a series of debunked stories that he was sharing and he does this all the time. There was the story a couple days ago um, of him sharing an, uh, a meme of Trump, and he thought it was real. Um, this is your typical guy who is trying to build a brand online, doesn't really know how to use it, um, calling people that disagree with them as terrorists and dangerous threats to society. I mean, he's totally in over his head, and there seems to be something about once you reach a fame to some degree like he has that you feel you need to voice these opinions and fit in with certain groups and again i say this as someone who is such a big fan of stephen king from the book it to misery to um shawshank redemption to the shining he is my favorite author so to see him succumb to this and just always want to fit in with whatever the new trend is online is so disappointing and out of all people he didn't need to do it because he's not looking to get a job on tv or sign a new deal i mean he's already set for life and every network is adapting his stories so there was no reason to do this but except self-gratification so in a lot of ways his pivot toward this loon and just this radical it's far more disappointing than most people who seem like it's their only path to success. You know, Bobby, today is the one day on the calendar other than the TBT. We don't have any sports, right? We don't have baseball. We don't have nothing. But I got to tell you, man, sports figures are the gift that keeps on giving, man. They, they just keep on giving, keep on giving, keep on giving. And I'm not saying, and I don't want, I don't want anybody in sports to shut up and dribble. Shut up and keep giving us content, Bobby. That's how I look at it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, sports figures, um, we started this conversation about looking, we're going to one day look back at this time and just, uh, in, in, just a, in a sense of you know humiliation about this mark in history. I do think eventually we'll also look at these athletes and say, why did these athletes do this? What did they actually gain from it? But you're so right. I mean, the sports world used to be the great escape, right? It was, it was, it was your, it was your ticket out of all the toxicity and all the political debates and all that. I mean, now it's just so and sports has ingratiated itself in all these conversations that it's really in a lot of ways as, as toxic as 
turning on a news channel. I mean, the stories are pretty much identical. And you made an interesting point about sports not being on television right now. I think baseball comes back tomorrow. In a lot of ways, Dan, the the athletes speaking out on these issues or giving their opinions, that has outweighed a lot of the games. I mean, I see more headlines about what a player said about a non-sports issue than headlines about the actual games now. And that goes back to that whole backward culture where people are more interested in siding or opposing a player's politics than they are talking about their play on the field. No, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. It is. It's, it's just, it's one of those things where you go, man, you know, when you do a show like this or write a column like yours, um, you don't ever run out of content. You know what I mean? Like my afternoon show, uh, three o'clock or noon to three, sometimes you run out of content, but you know, these kind of shows, you don't ever run out of content ever. It's unbelievable. And and what's most convenient about it is that so few people are willing to tell the truth on these topics or ask questions or do any of what a host or journalist is supposed to do is create this major market demand for just dissecting these issues from an honest place or asking questions. So not only is the content there, the angles are always there because most, I would say 90% of the media all takes the same angle. And a lot of it is so predictable and dishonest and inauthentic that people are just desperate and starving for some level of common sense or even to take it down a notch for just somebody who is willing to question what everybody else is saying. So I think that that's why your show is doing so well now. And congratulations to you is that you have created a platform where people, whether it's yourself or a guest can come on and say, wait a minute, what's actually going on here? Is the story they're telling the actual story? Yeah, uh, it's great, man. And you're the, you're the leader of the pack. I don't care. You're the damn leader of the pack, big boy. And uh, when you speak, I listen. When you write, I, I read. And I thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much. All right, Dan, talk soon. Uh, that is, ladies and gentlemen, that is Bobby Barack, America's conscious. Ian Miller is going to join me. Another one of Outkicks. You know, you need to learn about the people that write and do Outkick. I just read a hit piece on me in the Indianapolis Star where they called Outkick our little growing huge entity a place for hate, conspiracy theories, outright lies. No, 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 no. I mean, I think they were describing themselves at the Indianapolis Star. What we are is a place where, look, we're going to talk sports. We're going to talk and give you an opinion that you're not going to get anywhere else. And Ian Miller's great at it. We'll talk to Ian next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Ian Miller, nice enough to join us here. Uh, One of OutKick's great writers. And I got to tell you, um... At I-E-N, I-A-N, M-S-C, this is an author. I'm thinking this is a genius. Why are you slumming talking about and writing about sports? I'm reading all your stuff here. Hold the phone here, big boy. Why are you slumming? (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't wouldn't describe it that way. Uh, Sports is, is probably my, you know, it's my first love. I grew up 
loving sports, loving baseball, especially in, you know, football too, basketball, I mean, all of it. But, um, you know, I, it's kind of my first passion and I started writing about all this other stuff, you know, COVID and other politics and policy ideas uh, over the last couple of years. But uh, kind of when the opportunity came to, to write about sports more consistently, that was something I kind of jumped at actually. You know, I, I do want to talk baseball. Uh, last night's All-Star game, three to two, couple absolute bombs, man, back to back. What'd you think? I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the broadcast. I thought they did a, good, a, did a good job. And, you know, having all the interviews in game was, was really neat. Um, you know, I think obviously the All-Star game is just kind of a showcase for the sport and, and trying to make baseball seem fun and exciting, which they've struggled with in recent years. Uh, I thought it was fun. I mean, it, it also kind of, shows a lot of the issues baseball's facing that it was kind of all the scoring happened they are beginning of the game and wasn't a lot of sustained rallies it was pitching just kind of dominated tons of strikeouts so overall i thought it was a really good job with the broadcast but it kind of also was an indicator that baseball needs to try to get more offense back into the game somehow you know, it's funny, uh, uh, from a gambling perspective, yesterday, I do an afternoon show in Indianapolis, and from a gambling perspective, we do a end of the show, uh, my producer put some bets out there, and, and I, I said, look, whatever you want to tell me the over-under is, and I think we saw eight and a half, I could be wrong about that, I said, I'm taking the under, man, these arms are too good, you know, you're going to have guys, like you saw last night, guys coming in, they're all hepped up, they're throwing it a million miles an hour, I mean, I think... That might have been the bet of the century last night. But baseball needs offense, man. Will the new rules next year, the pitch clock, uh, are they going to do away with the shift? Will this help? Uh, I think it will help speed up pace of play a little bit. Um, I don't know how much the offense will really be helped. Uh, you know, I think removing the shift will probably help, especially left-handed hitters a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a Dodgers fan, so Max Muncy is kind of the poster child for this where seems like every at-bat, he hits a ground ball to right center field that is an, an out. You know, you have fighters like Manny Machado playing literally in the center center right field, and he'll still throw him out. Um, so I hope that that does make a difference. But, you know, as a Dodger fan, it was all, as I said, it was very cool to see Clayton Kershaw start the game, pitch well in the first inning. Um, you know, but it, it, I hope I do hope that these rules kind of make some bit of some difference going forward to get get some offense back in there. I'm almost convinced that you can't do it. I'm almost convinced that, you know, sometimes in football to start the NFL season or the college football season, they say, you know, the offense is ahead of the defense or the defense is ahead of the offense and it's going to even out. I really, I don't know about you, but I, I don't see how, maybe you know, and please share, how can baseball batters even this out against the, the stuff they face from three or four different guys a night? Yeah, well, that, that Cardinals pitcher, Ryan Helsley, he came in and literally has thrown 103 miles an hour and hit it a couple times, and you just go, I don't know how anybody ever hits this. It's, it seems impossible. Um, I mean, that's just kind of a, a problem that a lot of the innovations have been in pitching where you know guys have been able to they go max effort for an inning or two now as relievers, and you know the conditioning is better and pitch development is better. So that's, that's kind of a tough problem. And, I mean, hitters are incredible. The fact that they can get hits off these guys at all. But as far as fixing that permanently, I, I don't really know. You know, maybe <laughs> juicing the ball like we kind of had in 2019, uh, 2020. Maybe that's the answer. Go back to that type of thing. If I was going to say to you, the best player in the National League is who? Best player in the American League is who? I, I mean, I think the answer for the American League has to be Mike Trout. He's still 
just, you know, when he's healthy, there's nobody that can do what he does defensively. He can steal bases offensively. Um, National League, I think there's there's more debate. Um, you know, Juan Soto could be up there. I, I think, you know, Mookie Betts at times can be up there. Um, Freddie Freeman, when he's on, he's as good as anybody. Uh, there's there's quite a there's I think there's more competition in the National League. Although obviously Aaron Judge has been incredible this year, but I think consistently over the course of his career, Mike Trout is just best in both leagues, really. Not Otani. Otani is uh, obviously is, is tremendous, and what he's doing I think is completely unique, and we'll never see anything like it again. And it is something that I think we don't appreciate it enough. Um, unfortunately, baseball has now become kind of a regional sport where people kind of pay attention to their team in their area, but it's not as big nationally as it used to be in you know, the heydays, thirties, forties, fifties. But yeah, you know, this is unprecedented what he's doing, being able to pitch and hit at the same time. That does give you, I, I mean, overall, it's pretty impressive. I, I think, um, uh, I would still say that trout is, is on a different level just because he's, I mean, if you look at his comparison, the comparison of Mike Trout to other Hall of Fame level players, he's like 30, 31 years old, and he's already passed almost, you know, a lot of these all-time great guys that names that you would recognize, like Derek Jeter. He's got more accumulated, more career war than Derek Jeter already, and and he's just incredibly young. I mean, he's he's doing something that, uh, again, if he stays healthy, he's going to be one of the best all-time top two or three. I got to ask you something because you appear to be something of an expert on this. Number one, how did you become a mask expert? And number two, I'm starting to hear masks, masks, and masks. Are they coming back here? Are we are we going back to this? <laughs> yeah, well, I live in Southern California, so I have a lot of experience with these mandates. That became something that uh, I was personally very intrusive to me, and I started doing research on it and looking, for, looking at the data, and it really kind of spiraled out from there where I realized – that it wasn't really working. And you could show that by saying, you know, here's where we did the mask mandate and what happened to COVID cases afterwards, you know, over the, especially over the last couple of years. It does seem like it's going to come back in a lot of these, a lot of parts of the country. Uh, LA just announced they're going back to a mask mandate pretty soon. And San Diego Unified School District just brought it back. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, once you kind of let people think that it works, there's always going to be an excuse to bring it back because there's cases will go up and down forever. We're going to be doing this with dealing with this forever. So I, I am concerned that it does, it will come back, but I think a lot of the country has just moved on and gone back to normal, thankfully. And uh, it's just these last kind of holdouts that are, can't give it up. Ian, I got to tell you, man, I, 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 this may make me a bad human being, but I pretty much forgot about COVID until uh, my boss called me and said, Hey, I can't make it to your golf outing on Monday because I got COVID. I go, you got what? <laughs> He goes, yeah, I got, I mean, I don't know. Maybe again, maybe I'm just stupid, but it seems like, man, oh man, are mass effective. And if not, how ineffective are they? Uh, well, the short answer is no, they're not effective at all. Really. It's, uh, I, you know, we can look at many different examples. One of my favorites, uh, obviously I'm local, so it, it's close to my heart, but LA uh, last December measured, went around to 1500 businesses and measured that 95 percent of people were wearing masks and then cases went up 20 20 times higher in just a couple of weeks and broke every record and had one of the highest case rates that anybody in the United States had ever seen so I think that's it's pretty clear indication that no matter how many people are wearing masks in businesses uh, it just doesn't prevent COVID cases from rising and then conversely when you remove mask mandates there's no negative impacts I don't know if you remember but March of last year 2021 
when Texas lifted their mask mandate, Joe Biden called it Neanderthal thinking and people went nuts. Like people, uh, Federal O'Rourke said that Abbott was leading a death cult. You know, there's all these crazy accusations. And then, of course, after they lift the mask mandate a couple of weeks later, cases dropped another 20, 30 percent. So nobody ever follows up. They just make these predictions that, oh, everybody's not wearing a mask. It's going to be a disaster. But they don't go back and check and, and show people that it never it didn't matter because masks are just not effective at all. Are planes going back to masks? Please tell me no. I don't fly much anymore, but please tell me no. Yeah, I certainly hope not. I, I have concerns. The fact that they tried to, they've appealed that decision and, you know, we haven't heard much about it since, but you know, I've been very concerned that they're trying to kind of retain that authority and that if, as we get into fall and winter and, and almost inevitably we'll see another surge in respiratory viruses and that they're going to try to uh, go back to these rules. I, I hope that that's not the case. I hope the judges kind of stay consistent and, and, permanently remove these things. And but obviously it's going to be a threat that we live with until there's a new presidential administration that comes in and thinks about COVID differently and thinks kind of like how you have that it's time to move on and we're going to be dealing with it forever. We can't make it the sole focus of our lives anymore and, and keep trying to do these ineffective and damaging policies uh, permanently. I want to, um, I want to, I wanted to get into mass because I, I like talking to smart people that know a lot about a subject, but I want to get back. Same thing. Smart person knows a lot about the subject. Who am I buying? What team am I potentially buying in the second half? Now, let me just tell you why I ask it that way, not to be like typical media guy. But a few years ago, I did a little research on September 1st. And I was doing my radio show from a casino. And it was a sports book. And a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going up there. You want you don't want any action? I go, yeah, give me a hundred bucks on the Washington Nationals to win the World Series. They won the World Series. I won about three grand, whatever it was. So when I say buying, I'm being literal here almost. Who the hell am I buying based on your advice? Do the White Sox have a chance to make a run here? Who do you like? What do you think? The White Sox could. I, I think you know the trading deadline this year is really interesting because there's so many teams that are close to contention so there's not as many sellers as there normally would be and and so there's not as much opportunity for some of these teams to improve themselves um i i do actually like the braves i think the braves have a chance to make a run here um you know they were way out of it in the nl east now they're they've kind of crawled their way back under the radar a bit um they could they could pass the mets win that division they're a team that got a lot better last year at the trading deadline and weren't really in the race at all until late july early august and then went on a run and wound up winning the world series uh, you know, I'm biased, but I would say the Dodgers still, I think they've, they've been had to deal with so many injuries that they haven't really even been playing at full strength. And yet they're just a couple of games behind the Yankees now for best record in the league and kind of running away with the NL West. Um, I, those are the teams I would kind of have my eye on. I could see, definitely see the White Sox getting there too. Um, and I still, I actually think the Red Sox too, they, they've been kind of hanging around in a couple of games over 500, but, uh, they're, I think they can get to the postseason and they have the offense to do a ton of damage once they get there. Um, without your bias, people pretty much feel it's the Yankees and the Dodgers, correct? I mean, I, you know, you've already admitted to bias, but, you know, without a bias, it's still pretty well, pretty much those two teams are what people are thinking, right? It does seem like that. I, I mean, obviously, the Yankees have been unbelievably good this year. Aaron Judge is, I mean, if not for Otani, would be an easy MVP candidate. Um, but, I, you know, and the Dodgers have just – accumulated this ridiculous offense and, and, you know, a lot of depth in their pitching staff and a, a very deep lineup. 
Um, so I think that those are, those are definitely the favorites and it would be a great story. It'd be a great story for baseball. I mean, obviously huge television markets, historic franchises, big rivalry. So I think that would baseball would love that if that does wind up being the matchup in the world series. Um, I, I don't, I personally wouldn't love it because uh, I don't want to play the Yankees, <laughs> but I think that there is a, a, a great case to be made that those are the two best teams by far in, in each league. All right, lastly, before I let you go, because every baseball interview I do, uh, I am, uh, I don't know if I'm America's biggest, but I am America's most diehard, maybe, I don't know the right word, Cub fan. Is there any hope? Is there any hope anywhere, anytime here? What? Give me something, if you don't mind. <laughs> Well, I think that it's clear that ownership can spend the money to win when they when they feel like there's an opportunity to. Uh, it, it is, I think, if you had told me a couple of years ago that Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and now William Contreras and uh, you know Anthony Rizzo would all be gone within a matter of years, I would not have believed you. But um, you know, I think that there's they're in a huge market. They have an amazing stadium. They're going to attract free agents when they're when they're ready to go. Uh, their farm system doesn't seem like it's quite there yet, unfortunately, but I do think that in the uh, in the mid to long term, they have the resources and the ability to to win a World Series again or compete consistently for a World Series. It's just a matter of getting the farm system into the right place and then making the correct making good trades and getting some free agent signings. So, uh, if they do deal Contreras right now, trying to get a good package back for him, I think would be the first step. All right, let, let, before before I let you go, see here's what's frustrating about what you just said there. I remember before George Steinbrenner, I was a little kid, before George Steinbrenner brought the, bought the Yankees, my father, like all guys his age, loved the Yankees because of Madeline Maris and all that stuff. Well, the Yankees stunk. Steinbrenner buys it. He knows what he has. Boom. I always felt like Los Angeles understood what they had. Look, we got to be good every year. Horse bleep to building and dropping and building. That's my frustration with the Cubs. This is a major freaking market with its own network. Why are they acting in a manner more consistent with a mid-major market than the biggest of markets? That's a great question. I don't, I don't know that we have a great answer, unfortunately. You know, they'll tell you it's, it's money-related, but that shouldn't be a problem when you sell out Wrigley Field every game and, like you say, have their own TV network and are in Chicago, one of the biggest markets in the country. Um, I don't really, I don't know. I don't know why they've acted like this. I think there's, there's just some ownership groups that are very uh, concerned about maintaining a certain level of profit every year or, or whatever. I mean, you know, maybe the, the shutdowns hurt them more than it hurt other teams. I'm not, I'm not sure, but um, I, yeah, there's not a great excuse for why they didn't just sign their guys that they developed. You know, we're talking about, Oh, we got to develop a farm system. Well, they, they did that. They had Brian and Rizzo and, uh, Javi Baez and Contreras and that's a great core to start with and try to develop a long-term contender but they just for some reason didn't spend the money to keep all those guys in, in place and at that point it's like well what are you saving for who are you going to go out and, and sign it's, if you're going to let go of your homegrown players you got to go out and make some kind of free agency move and they haven't done that um, so you know we'll see but I, I they've been willing to spend the money at times but not consistently and that, that is a problem for the Cubs. I guess the better question to you would have been in L.A., and I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm legitimately asking. In L.A., w was there ever a, a time like this, like what the Cubs are going through in New York? Was there ever, you know, 
I, I know they don't win every year, and I know you have a bad year, but has there ever been a rebuild in L.A. that took three, four years or in New York with the Yankees? Not really, uh, especially here. It has not been that kind of sustained level of rebuilding. There was a couple of years when Frank McCourt was the owner about 10 years ago uh, when he was going through a divorce and it just, it was a debacle. Was, you know, he was like missing payroll, I think at one point. Um, so that was really unfortunate that the team kind of collapsed for a year or two, but uh, the new ownership group came in and immediately made big trades, made some free agent signings and turned the team around right away. Um, and it's been consistently competing ever since uh, Yankees, you know, they're always trying. They may not always be good, but they're always trying. They're always going to make a deal, sign somebody big to maintain the, the, the idea of compete competing, even though it may always work out. Um, so yeah, that that's, it's weird that the Cubs have not kind of been that franchise in the Midwest. You know, you had the two coasts, but Chicago has the opportunity to do that in the Midwest, especially because the NL Central has not had a team like the Dodgers or Yankees that just runs away with it every year. Right. It's, it's always up for competition. Yeah, I, so I don't know why they haven't been more consistently willing to spend the money. But, uh, I mean, you know, outside of changing ownership groups, you're going to have to just make a commitment to doing that. As a guy that grew up running off the school bus, hoping that WGN, well, they always had the game, and hoping it was in the third inning. Drives me nuts. Hey, Ian, thanks, man. What's up next? What are you writing about next on OutKick? Oh, thanks a lot. I just, you know, I've, I have a lot of stuff in, kind of in the in the pipeline about pop culture stuff. Been writing uh, a lot of just these these kind of ridiculous things that we see about uh, like Leah Thomas competing in women's sporting events. A lot of that covering that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, just anything with you know stories that pop up about baseball and also COVID as well. It's a weird world, man, but there's always content. Thank you, Ian. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Ian Miller, writer here at OutKick. You got to get to know the OutKick writers, man. They're great. They're absolutely great. I mean, they're great at what they do. And again, I know, okay, uh, OutKick is the place for conspiracy theorists. One guy actually wrote that I am degenerating one tweet at a time. It's the biggest fall in the history of Indianapolis sports. Maybe so, but I'm a happy duck working at a station or working with a group of people that are not afraid to give opinion different. Now, we're going to catch hell. Hell, there have been hit pieces on Clay. There's a hit piece going. There's a hit series on me right now. That's fine. Hey, my wife told me when I got into this, she goes, look, you got to be ready for a totally different level of hate. And she ain't wrong. It's different when the level of hate is from Illini fan where you said we stink. Okay, great. Uh, as it is to political left-leaning uh, uh, newspapers and political left-leaning columns, it's a whole different deal. And I, you know, it, it is interesting. I have a, uh, there's a hassle going on now and it's cool. Um, and a guy jumped in, uh, a man named, uh, Scott Jamison. Scott Jamison was a guy that I defended. I talked about this early in the show. So Scott yesterday defended me. And he put a tweet out that said, my name is Brett Jamison. Brett Jamison. I said, Scott, I got a friend named Scott Jamison, the coach who was fired at the direction of this kid who's alleging that I called him a method. This tweet alone shows the self-importance of the family. Dockage was speaking hypothetically, uh, blah, but uh, the family's self-proclaimed that their son is a victim here is all crap. And I mean the tweet, just a guy, just a guy like you or me, 
trying to stand up, right? Just trying to do what's right. And the local columnist called him. You were, you confirmed you were Doc at your source. I've never talked to the guy. Uh, Andrew is a board member's son. The kid Dockage called a method. Well, he's actually a superintendent's son. And if I would have said superintendent, I could see where you might have thought that. By tweeting this, Dockage shared that he knew exactly who Andrew was when he called him a method. A uh, guy's clown. Yeah, I guess. And then that tweet, tweet was deleted. This is what's dangerous. You got to really be careful. You know, this all started, and this is a warning to people. This all started when I've been very critical of the Indy Star because of their reporting, because of how they have reported on things. And like any other, what's to stop any writer from doing a 2,000-word hit piece on you? I don't know. Maybe nothing. And this will get skewed. This will get spun around. But anyway, just be careful. And so Brett Jameson now uh, is in the crosshairs. Just a guy that was there. See, here's my problem, and this is why I like OutKick. If somebody comes to me with that kind of a tweet, defending a position, instead of trying to crush him, I would ask, okay, what's your point of view on what happened here? That's what we're supposed to do. I'm not in the media. I'm in the entertainment business, but isn't that what we're supposed to do? If somebody comes with a different point of view, Aren't you supposed to ask him, why are you saying this? What's your problem? Brett Jamison, you were the coach there. You dealt with the fallout from my rant. What was it like? What happened? Now, the writer who wrote the story today says, or she claims that she reached out to Jamison, and maybe she did. Jamison says, look, I've been all over my different mechanisms. I got nothing. But isn't that what we're supposed to do? Instead of because this man who got unjustly fired, is defending, not me, he doesn't know me, does not know me. He's defending the truth. A reporter, a season, a, an award-winning reporter says all these nasty things about him that frankly aren't true. That frankly, I never met the guy, he wasn't a source. I literally got handed a piece of paper with this story on it two minutes before I walked into the studio and just lost my mind. I just... It is amazing. Instead of civility, and that's what these folks preach, right? People that are against our group here at OutKick always claim they're the most civil. They're the most righteous. They're the most tolerant. They're right. Civility says, hey, Brent Jameson, you were the coach. So Jameson went back at him and said, obviously, this is personal. So how did it end? Well, the writer said, well, you're trashing a kid that played for you. That tells me all I need to know. Okay. We're not here to live up to the standards of some writer or some newspaper. We're just not. Man, it's amazing. And I've been, I'm a problem. I was one of the problems. No question about it. But aren't we here to say, hey, look. Coach Jamison, why are you not defending your player? Why are you defending the truth? You know, rational people in this whole debate have done that. Rational people have said, hey, uh, Coach, why are you defending this? And he, why are you defending Dockage? And his answer is simple. I'm not defending Dockage. I'm defending the truth. Because the truth is I never did what I'm alleged to have done. They'll find something else. There'll be a video of me telling an off-color joke at an event.
Okay. What are you going to do? Oh, man, I love when Bobby Barak comes on. I love now when Ian Miller comes on. I love when we got the Dancing Beamers coming on. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thanks to my guys. Go watch Bill Burr. You'll love Bill Burr. Dylan and Ryan, thank you so much. Davey, keep it right here. This isn't a place for conspiracy theories. This isn't a place for hate. It's a place where the modern big-time media is a little bit afraid of because people are flocking to places like this, so they must call names instead of actually experiencing it and listening and paying attention. We went at Rex Chapman today, which I assume will mean Rex Chapman will come back, which is fine. I like this job, and I thank you for letting me do it, and I thank you for being here. Join me today, 12 to 3, at 1075 thefan.com, D-A-K-I-C-H-O-U-T, mama. I'm teaching you guys some ways that my friends and I meow to one another to communicate when words just seem a little too difficult. So here we go. Okay, so first off, we have the normal meow that we just use mostly to get each other's attention. Meow. Okay, then we have the dissatisfied meow. Then the angry meow, but we only use this one on rare occasions because overall we're a very happy kid and family. Then the happy or content meow. Meow. 